0: Talking a little bit about faith, understanding faith. As those of you that have been with me, if you have not been with us for the last little while, you need to go listen to the last 16 times that I've been here to catch up on some of these things, because God prophetically spoke not only through one person, but multiple people at the beginning of the year, 2016, that this was the year of faith, great faith, the great year of faith. And I think that God is doing something great in the restorative uh, revelation. We've had a revelation of faith in the earth now, probably 50 years or so, uh, but I don't think it accomplished the thing that God wanted it to accomplish. Matter of fact, it probably set the kingdom back a bit uh, because the revelation of faith really wasn't able to be properly delivered into the hearts of the people in the kingdom, and so we'll talk a little bit about that, but I believe that God is kind of coming on the scene now in 2016 and talking to us again aggressively about the concept of faith and how faith works. Um, and we'll talk about why in a minute. But I wanna share with this because I woke up with something this morning and I wanted to share it with you. I woke up with this image in my mind, kind of a shocking image, because uh, I knew I was looking at the devil. Not in real life, you know, in my mind, my imagination. Shockingly, he didn't, wasn't dressed in a red suit and he didn't have a pitchfork in his hand. He was one of those guys that I would think would go on the cover of a GQ magazine. Exactly. But that wasn't the, I was, he was very charming and very, you know, attractive, very, you know, well-dressed, the whole deal. And he did something in the image. I think it was God showing me him. I don't know if he looks like that or not, nor do I care. But he, did, he went like this, and he took, his, he took his sleeve like this, and he pulled his sleeve up like that to show me a tattoo that he had on the, of his forearm. How many of you would like to know what that tattoo says? Can I tell you what it says? I don't know if he has it or not. But this is what it was. uh, It was Proverbs 22.6. Could you imagine the devil has a scripture on his forearm? Does anybody know what Proverbs 22.6 says? How many of you know that in Luke chapter 4, the devil used the word of God against Jesus? How did that go exactly? But he used it. The devil knows the Bible. Did you know that there's some scripture verses that the devil loves, so much so that he would have it tattooed on his forearm? Proverbs 22, 6. Oh, you all know it. You don't need to look it up. It says, train up a child in the way that he will go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. When the devil read that scripture, he goes, Got him! Because I had this, major, this amazing thing happen to me about, oh, maybe 15 years ago. at, a, at a, What's that thing Ron Luce does? Um, Teen Mania. fire.: the Fire. fire, of the fire. Yeah. But they were at a, at a conference with them, just an eye-opening conference, because I'm a business person by trade, and he, they were telling us about the statistics, Barna's statistics, about the way the kingdom works nowadays. And he said the people at the time, now this was 10 years ago, or so, whenever it was, 12 years ago, he was saying that the people, the generation between the ages of 35 and 55 uh, 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 35% of them, 78% of them will define themselves as Christians, 35% of those would define themselves like us, evangelical, you know, really going after God, living for him kind of people. Then the rest of them would be just nominal. You love God and all that, but I'm busy right now. Can we catch you on the afterlife? And then there's a few people that would say, I don't know, I'm various other things. But he said the problem is not that, age group the age then he says you take the age group that is between 18 and 35 and he said four of percent of them 35 percent to four percent in one generation and it was like i almost dismissed it because i said you know that's just you know statistics you can make statistics say anything you like them to say i'm the business i'm a business guy that's you know, people come with books full of statistics, and I just want the bottom line because I know half of them are lies, anyways, and twisted. But I'm, but I'm starting to realize something. When I woke up this morning and I had that image come through my, all these things started flooding through my mind about that scripture, train up a child in the way that he'll go, and in the end he will not bar. I was having this conversation with a bunch of the guys who were up on the roof goofing off like we always do, and we were discussing the concept uh, uh, that they grew up, and a lot of the guys are young that are up there with me, the strong and the tough ones are up there working with me, Up, and we were sort of talking about some of the issues on break, you know, pizza, as you can imagine, and we were talking about this concept of their generation and how did they grow up. And I was talking to them about the fact that there is a major opportunity that is presented in their generation, those people that are now 18 to 35 year old, (laughs) there is a remarkable opportunity for them in their world simply because they all experienced something simultaneously that no generation in all of history, well I should say not no, very few generations in all of history have ever experienced and that is that they grew up unprotected by their parents, not intentionally so. The children of the world, the reason that we had this remarkable decrease in the faith or the, the Godwardness of the children of that generation is because we mistakenly did not protect them when they were young. Now this is a great problem because the, the devil has that scripture on his arm. He loves that scripture. All he needs to do to save himself a whole bunch of bother is raise a generation on South Park, or Simpsons, or a, an internet full of porn, or, you know, Come on. pick your flavor of the month. That's all he had to do. He'd have to even try really hard. he had to get them when they're four. And he's won them for an entire generation, but not only a generation, because he knows how this works. Right, Sin in the first generation produces what? Righteousness and holiness in the next generation. Yeah, it does, right? No, it doesn't. It produces more sin in the next generation. So he can win a thousand generations if he can just get the first one. Is that not true? That's where we're sitting today. That's why God now, it is so important. If you're thinking that we're talking about faith so that you can get a new car, get a new car if you like, but that's not why we're talking about it. Right. Right. We're talking about it because the concept of faith is the, the single transformational concept of the scripture. Yes. If you were trained train up a child in the way that he will go, what if you're trained up wrong? Right. Now what do you do? You're back in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if you trained up a child wrong in their first 10 years, they're done. There is no room for them to move. There isn't, your heart becomes locked. That's what the Bible calls a shield of faith. What you believe becomes shielded and locked yes. because God does not intend intended us to come upright. Right? So once you come up right, you believe certain things, you never change what you believe all through your life. And many of us, especially the younger generation, were trained up in concept. Most of you don't really know if you believe in God. Not the way generations four years, four four generations ago did. They were absolutely convinced there was a God. There wasn't even an option, never had a thought there wasn't a God. Most people now in the generation, well you've at least heard somebody say you're an idiot for believing in God. Even if it was a cartoon character that said it, you still heard somebody say it to you. And the problem now in this generation is, is that train up a child in the way that he will go and in the end he will not depart from it. This is a critical revelation. Right? Faith is the principal thing. Faith is the key to the New Testament. It is not that we don't need other things, but listen, uh, let, me, let me give you some, let's just listen carefully. I, I've never made a list like this before. I made this list last night and I'm saying, holy Toledo, I'm teaching such an important thing, aren't I great? No, watch what the, listen to what the scripture says. This is in Acts chapter 15, you purify your hearts by faith. How many of you like one of those? Acts 26, you are sanctified by faith. Romans chapter 1, you shall live by faith. By the way, the just shall live by faith is quoting the only scripture in the Old Testament that talks about faith. Habakkuk, as he's repeating it, and he'll repeat it a number more times, the just shall live by faith. What's outside that box? How about nothing? Everything is by faith, yes. good or bad. Poverty is by faith. Abundance is by faith. Sickness is by faith. Uh, health is by faith. Everything you do is based on what you believe. Everything your life manifests is what, there's, that's why God said it so many times. Everything your life manifests is by faith. So how important is faith? I thought everything came from, came, came from money. Well, how important do you think money is? You think it's pretty important. You say money is the principal thing. I'm telling you right below money is faith. So now faith is the principal thing. Why? Because it gives us the opportunity to be transformed. That's why it's so important. Watch. That's what all these things are talking about. Righteousness, Romans 3 says, comes from faith. You're justified by faith. People say justified means that just as if I'd never sinned. That's not what the world means. That's fun to say it like that. It got a lot of air time. That's not what it means. The word justified means to be pronounced on the outside as you are on the inside. So if your life isn't so great, you're justified in that, that your outside looks like your inside. If you want your outside to change, change your outside. No. If you want your outside to change, why? Because you are justified by faith. Anyways, let's come back in February. We'll deal with that one. Romans chapter 4 says... It is that it is of faith that it might be by grace. It's all this grace stuff nowadays, eh? No, that's by faith that it is by grace. You don't get the grace. Hear a teaching on grace, all of a sudden you're in the grace? No. It is by faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promises might be sure to all the seeds, all the children, all the generations. That comes by faith. We access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. That word stand is the word histami. Remember the word hypohistamai that we were talking about? Anybody got that tattooed on their body yet? So we're saying that it's by faith that we're what? That we are firmly established and concreted into place that when the winds blow, I'm not moved. That happens not because you're tough. It happens because you have faith that you just will not move no matter what happens. It says by faith that happens. Again, in Romans chapter 11, that you stand by faith. Uh, the word histemi, again. By faith you stand in, in Galatians uh, Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, the just shall live by faith. We covered that one. Galatians chapter 3, again, the promise of, by faith of Jesus might be given to them that believe. Yes. Galatians chapter 3, that we are children of God yes. by faith. Yes. For by grace are you saved through faith. So if salvation is really important, how important is faith? Mm-hmm. It is through faith that you are saved, which makes faith more important than being saved. Because mm-hmm. you weren't saved the day you believed. You weren't saved the day Jesus went to the cross, or even by the fact that Jesus went to the cross. Because he did that 2,000 years ago. So we're all wasting our time right now? No, no. It, when you believed that he died on the cross, is when you got saved. How important is knowing how we believe? Yes. How important is knowing what faith is? How important is transferring the faith that you know about into somebody who doesn't yet have faith? Uh, by faith, Abraham obeyed. We struggle with obeying. No, don't struggle with obeying. Just get faith. It's easy to obey. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise. Uh, Talking about Abraham. The victory that overcomes the world. What's that? My strength and ability and great intellect and... No, by faith. Yes. Right, right. So overcoming comes by... Listen to all those things. So what are you believing? What is going on in your life that you would like to have that did not get addressed in that list? Accessing all of those things all happens when we, could, when we do it and we understand how to do it by faith. Instead, what we've done is that we've created an environment, a Christian environment, where we're coming to church, we're learning what we need to do, and then with dogged determination and the sweat of our brow, we go and do it. That's never God's intention. Faith versus knowledge, this is, where the, this is the big battle. Doing life by faith or doing life by gaining and, and, and gathering and increasing in knowledge and understanding. Let me tell you something. It's not that we don't don't get knowledge and understanding. We need knowledge and understanding. I need to know trust one goes next to trust two. You got to know what one is and what two is in order to figure out that equation. You have to know these things. But you don't live your life based on those things. Why is that? Because knowledge and understanding in themselves do not change your life. We're addicted to this in our culture. That's why everybody walks around like this, with their, you know, trying to figure out where everything is and reading their phones all the time, so that they have no idea where they're going or what's around them, because they're thinking, if I can just increase in my understanding of things, and then all of a sudden, boop. Oh, was there a train there? I'm sorry. (laughs) Who put that train there? Why? Because they think it's just if I could just increase in these things, then life, my life, is going to change. Not imagine the knowledge and understanding that is in the earth today compared to when I was a child you know when I went to university we, we did computers by put it, getting a pencil an HB pencil it had to be a dark one and filling in little circles my lifetime and I'm not that old contrary to popular opinion I am not that old the, 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 it's gone off like a, like, a, like a mushroom cloud so we're happier as a people are we? life is better are we? Nothing changed. We're just running around like Pokemon Go people. We're running around like this trying to figure out how the world works by finding all the Pokemons. Do they pay you for that? Oh, nobody's going to watch this tape. Knowledge and understanding in themselves do not change your life, except now, listen, except to make you more fearful and therefore prideful, selfish, and pessimistic. Why? Because you were, you were you know, stupid and naive a minute ago, you didn't think there was anything to be afraid of. Now you know there's a ton of stuff to be afraid of. There's a, you, know, you just learned that there's an Archelian battleship about to fire on earth. Now you're more afraid than you were a second ago when you had this naive world that everything was just gonna be fine. So knowledge and understanding, which is the pursuit of our culture actually makes our lives worse. Don't you say that? Our world is more fearful than it ever has been because we know how many things there are to be afraid of. If you don't know what you need to be afraid of, just Google, go YouTube, what things should I be afraid of and go at her. You'll be busy till Christmas and you won't get through them all. But I tell you one thing, you'll live in your basement by Christmas too because you'll realize you know how many meteors come through our atmosphere every day? I'm not going to tell you because it is, <laughs> because it did not change what you believed. Knowledge and understanding does not change what you believe. It does not change your perception. It does not change it. You still believe exactly the same thing you believed before. That's why the kingdom has this reputation All we are is a bunch of these people who have all kinds of knowledge and understanding, so I am absolutely convinced that all of the things that are going on in your life are absolutely stupid, which makes you absolutely stupid, and I don't mind telling you so because, as long as I say it in love. (laughs) That's our reputation. We're just like, you know, we're people like bureaucrats. God bless you if you're a bureaucrat. But all we're doing is we're telling people all the rules all the time, not empowering them to do them. That's what the kingdom has become. That's why we have such a bad rap. Jesus is the best thing going. Don't know if you knew that. Religion, on the other hand, not so. And we're in a church talking about this, but we have to change the way the world operates. We went from 35% to 4% in one generation. What happens in the next generation? That's why we have, the kingdom has this reputation. We're a laughingstock. I don't know if you knew that, if you've seen anything on popular television about Christians. Christians are always the stupid ones. I don't know if you knew that. We're always the reason everything goes wrong. Did you not know that? Do you know that that's what Hitler did in the, in the beginning of the Second World War? He made the Jews responsible for everything that went wrong and then everybody would, would holocaust them easily because they were the vermin. It's all propaganda, folks. We have majored on salva- all these things. We've majored on salvation, obedience, purity, Christ within, identity in God, promises, Holy Spirit, justification, sanctification, strength, overcoming, without first knowing how to believe those things. Let me ask you something. To go home tonight, I want you to write down your your Christian doctrine on one singular thing. How do you change what you believe? Can I tell you, I went through 10 years of this when I was with any Christian leaders around North America, and I would ask them, how do you get somebody to change what they believe? By far, the answer was, I've never thought about that. By far, that was the answer. I don't know, I don't know what happens. I guess I just hope people keep coming to church and then God does something with them so that it happens. Imagine if I did the roof like that. So how'd the roof go up? I don't know, we just threw a bunch of trusses at the roof and, look! (laughs) The, The kingdom is called to save souls. The most important commodity on this planet is the soul of a human being. Right. Can I tell you, I have more yeah, I have people to, you know, God bless them all, very actively trying to help me put up the roof. You should do it this way, you should do it this way. You do you know how many people have come to me and said, you know what we ought to do is help people to change what they believe? Because that's more important than a roof is the soul of a human being. You could count that. Well, you don't have anything that has zero. That's never happened to me. I've never had a Christian person come to me in all of my Christian years and say, do you know what we need to do? We need to learn to change what we believe. I've never had those words spoken to me. There's 50 people who have told me how better to build the roof. That's not your fault. We've just been majoring on the minors. Not that they're not minors. You know, Jesus saves is a major. But Jesus saves mean nothing to somebody who doesn't know how to believe that Jesus saves. Can I tell you something? Winning the Middle East, India, uh, the Orient, is gonna be simple. What we're doing right now is we are debating religion against religion because we are all dealing in the same commodity on a religious level. We're all saying something that is mystic. where Our proof is in the afterlife. Did you know that that's why Christianity broke on the scene back in the day and transformed the world to this very day? Because Christianity is not a religion. It's not mystic. We've all thought, oh, you know, you suffer while you're here, but your blessing will be in the afterlife. Give in the offering because your blessing will be in the afterlife. You know, come and work in the church because your blessing will be in the afterlife. That is the greatest marketing program the world has ever seen. <laughs> give me the money for that car. I'll give you the car next week. How many of you go for that one? Any, would anybody go? Because I got a car that I'd like to... Nobody... That's because this is the problem because we debate religion after religion after religion. Why? Because we didn't understand what faith was. Come on. Faith was this thing that says, you know, just believe. And then we have a generation of people who are believers, supposedly, and the averages and the statistics about that generation are no different than the worst of heathens. And the younger generation is going, don't look like it's working. So if I do what you do, I get the life that you have? How about new? That's what they did. Divorce rates are just as bad in the kingdom. We have a lower, we have a lower per capita income. That's always the killer, right there. You get a young person. I'd like to, I'd like you to come and join my religion. You'll be poorer than anybody else you know. <laughs> and, and your pastor will come every Sunday and take more.
1: Oh shoot! Just,
0: I mean, you know. Come on. You, sign right here. Yeah, come on. I cannot figure out why this young generation doesn't want to go to church. And then we come up. We, we it's the devil. That's the devil using your book. Am I going to be happy soon? Probably not. But if you come back next week, <laughs> guys, listen. We're gonna have fun, we're family, right? We're gonna sit together through thick and thin, that's what we do, look. That's what we do. That doesn't mean we don't have to have family meetings. That doesn't mean we don't have to say, okay, why are we doing what we're doing again? Right? I had somebody come, I was over at the lumber store across the road there, I'll tell you the story. I'm over at the lumber store and they're all chatting about, you know, why didn't we just put the ash, you know, I'm sweating, you know, probably smell like a pig, I don't know it, so, you know, you don't, you don't know when you smell, so I, that's a blessing, God's with you, I guess, because you're, <laughs> No, I'm trusting there are no Facebook pictures of what I look like in the middle of some of these 97 degree days with my extra cool pink bandana on. So I'm over there, and I'm this, this fellow's beside me, and we're kind of chatting. I'm, make, you know, the guys are making fun of me and all that kind of stuff on the other side of the counter. We're friends, so I, you know, we're just jovying, being jovial with each other. And there's a guy beside me, and he said to me, he says, "Like, why didn't you just put asphalt on the roof? Like, why didn't you just replace the roof? Why don't you, like, save yourself a lot of time, effort. You have a whole summer, and you can go goof off." And I said, well, what I want to do is, we have a th- you know, the, the asphalt roof will last 20 years and then the, the tin roof will last 100 years. He looks at me and he goes, we're not going to be around then, dude. <laughs> I think he got offended at me when he said, I said, well, somebody will. Mm. Mm. Wow. What happened to a generation that thinks I think it's going to end with me? Yeah. Come on. What happened to that? What happened to the statesman? You know, Abraham Lincoln said the difference between a politician and a statesman is a politician cares about today, a statesman cares about tomorrow. Aren't the statesmen, aren't there statesmen around? Aren't there people that are willing to do the long thing? So you know what? If we have to go through this season right now where we, get, we resurrect the purpose of the New Testament, that the transformational work of the New Testament, where God puts faith on the inside of us, taking out deception, putting in the truth. Is it not worthwhile for us as a congregation to be those people who would rise up at this moment and say, you know what? We have this awesome opportunity. I have a blank blackboard on which I can paint anything I like. I'm not afraid. Because I got the book. I'm not afraid because the Holy Spirit is here. I'm not afraid because God has the answer to every question. All you and I need to do is be those people Amen. who would rise up at this moment, yes. take, take hold of the canvas that is pressed before us, and say, we're not going to give the world to the devil. I don't care what he's got tattooed on his forearm. Come on. We got the antidote. I don't care if you were raised the most evil and, and deceived person on the planet. I got the book. Let me read something to you. Listen, listen, listen. I was reading this the other day. I go right to the end of my notes. That's page 10. I'm on page 1. Listen, let me just read this to you. Decide what we're going to do. Are we going to be those people? Are we going to be these people? This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touching our spirits and confirming who we really are. We know who He is, and we we know who we are, Father and children. We know that we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. And if we go through the hard times with Him, then we are certainly going to go through the good times with Him. That's why I don't think there's a comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both creation and all of his creatures are ready and can be released at the same time into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain uh, throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God arousing us from within. We're also feeling the birth pains, those sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That's why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarged in us, but, but the longer we wait the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired of waiting, God's spirit is right alongside of us to help us. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making better than we making better prayers than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail of our lives of love for God is working into something good. God knows what we're doing from the very, what he's doing from the very beginning. He decided from the onset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same line, lines as the life of his own son. The son stands first in line of humani- of the humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of all of our lives there. In his after God made that decision of what his children should be like he followed it up by calling people by name after he called them by name he set them on a solid basis with him and then after them after them get after getting them established he stayed with them until the end gloriously completing what he had become begun so what do you think with God on our side like this, how can we lose if God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son? Is there anything he would not gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of his children? Who would dare even point a finger? The one who died from us, who raised us to life is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? Whoa, there is no way. No trouble, no hard times, no hatred or hunger, homelessness, no bullying threats, no backstabbing, not even the worst sins lifted in scripture. They could kill us in cold blood because they hate us. We're sitting ducks. They could pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing, living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and and God's love because of the way that Jesus Our master has embraced us. That's from the Book of Romans. The question is, will we be those people? The question is, in your scripture it says, the creation itself is groaning for the manifestation the sons of god Galatians tells us that we are the children of god how by faith in the end of the day faith is the principal thing if we understand faith we access day needs a people who by faith will manifest as the sons and daughters of God. All else will fall short. All else will be steamrolled by a world that's going to hell in a handbasket and excited to go imagine the middle east when the sons of god not religion not jesus versus mohammed imagine the buddhist world a billion people We train up a child works in religion too. If I raise a Muslim, live a Muslim. Raise a Buddhist, live a Buddhist. It's until the transforming mechanism of God faith becomes the principal pursuit of the modern day church. We can write encyclopedias full of all the other promises and ways of the Bible, and they won't change a single soul. Unless it was just by accident, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Put your hand over your heart and say, I love my pastor. Even though, dot, dot, dot. Say, Heavenly Father, I know we live in the greatest of times. I know that the greatest of opportunities come out of the greatest world of chaos. I know that you've called me for such a time as this. You didn't call me. To be a religious person sitting in a pew somewhere you called me commissioned me with a great dream in my heart so I know my life is important I matter in the kingdom and it is required of me to step forth to take my place to stand established to pursue faith and change the world. That's my job, and I accept that job. I know that when I came to God, I wasn't getting an insurance policy. I was deciding, I was choosing a life of faith, because everything in God is a life of faith. I'm not backing up. I'm not going down. I've decided. I'm going to live a life of faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen.